available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to our first post-Pac-12 season podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site of the Scout.com network. And we are the podcast of champions, the post-whatever-Dave called it, Pac-12 full game. The post-Pac-12 season, because we still have that one meaningless exhibition, the national championship game to go. But You're right, yeah, so we got that. that. And it's the first pack, you know, podcast of champions episode from 2017. So happy new year to you, Dave. Happy new year to you, Ryan. And happy what new year. Your, what are your new year's resolutions? I do every, um, January. I try to not drink like at all. Uh huh. And this year I'm adding like no sweets, which is hard for me. Oh. And the Rose Bowl had like, you know, bust, you know, like a whole bunch of Twix and Mike and Ike's and just laid out all over the place. So it was killing me. Oh man. That's brutal. Do you have one? Well, a friend of mine, um, her her nephew, um, who's a two or three year old, um, has a year's resolution: no more bonks, meaning he doesn't want to he doesn't want to hit his head on anything anymore. <laughs> that's a good and one. I feel like I feel like that's a fair resolution <laughs> for pretty much anyone. I, like I would that. like no more bonks, no more bonks in 2017. <laughs> so that's what I'm going with. I like that. That's a really good one. So we have to learn yeah. from two and three year olds uh, how to live our lives, which is pretty smart advice, I would think. Yeah, no more bonks. No more bonks. Uh, well, we're going to try to get you no more bonks in this podcast of champions. Uh, if you want to email us, it's pack12podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at pack12podcast. The website, pack12podcast. You can see there's a theme there. And if you want to call and leave a voicemail, a lot of off-season time, we can do episodes. You can leave us some questions, 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. We're on the iTunes and the Audio Boom and... Stitcher Radio, all those kind of fun things. You can download the Podcast of Champions. Leave us some positive feedback. We love that stuff. Uh, give us a yeah. five star rating, right, Dave? That's what we, that's what we need. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and we're not planning on going on a six month hiatus this year. So we're going to need some help from you guys. Yeah. We're going to need questions. We're going to need ideas to talk about for a lengthy period of time because frankly, we get a little sick of just babbling on about the same old stuff. So right. give us your questions. You're, you're tired, you're poor, you're weak, you're weary, all of your questions. Yes. Bring them. Bring them on, and uh, that'll definitely be fun. So today we want to recap all the bowl games, um, mm-hmm. and then we want to, you know, we'll first talk about some of the Pac-12 news, and then we'll get to some of your questions at the end. Uh, it is Friday. Uh, we're yes. doing this Friday afternoon, which I'm sure is a very popular time for podcasts. So you're probably downloading this over the weekend. Um, yeah. Right? You know, maybe before the championship game. But we'll, you'll be able to get our thoughts on what the games were, and then also some of the news around the Pac-12. Dave, we don't have a we don't have a Pac-12 schedule yet, but this is prime time for players declaring for the NFL draft. It is, it is, and uh, you know I think it's it's interesting. Some of the guys who've declared so far, I don't think it was necessarily some of these guys maybe a little bit unexpected, but um, yeah, it's been a pretty hefty slate of guys already who've declared. I think. Yeah, uh, well, I got, I got a list, uh, this is a partial list right now, and, you know, 
tweet us or whatever if we miss somebody. But Washington had four guys go, uh, Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, uh, Elijah Walls. They were all entering the NFL draft. Oh, did I miss? I think I missed one. Um, oh, so John Ross. Got John Buda Ross. Baker, yeah, Sidney Jones, Elijah Walls, and John Ross. John Ross is John go Ross to. feels like he should have already been like a super redshirt senior. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't feel like he had eligibility left. Like, he was a recruit, like, when I first started doing this job, like, six years ago. Wow, so he's been around a while. He's probably, like, a known guy. Yeah. Anyway, and yeah, so those four guys. Super studs. So, I mean, you know, some really talented players, but, you know, Washington's proven they can uh, replace guys like they did a couple years ago, and I'm sure Chris Pearson will be fine. Um, hey, didn't they lose, like, eight first-rounders two years ago <laughs> and were fine and better the next year? It was. I think it was four in the first 44 picks, three first-rounders, but... Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty close. Yeah, I thought eight first rounders is about right. Um, yeah, no, it's like Shaq Thompson <laughs> and those guys that year. Um, but they they've clearly got their schemes in place, and I think once you've got the kind of coaching staff and the kind of schemes they have, you sort of. I mean, obviously those are all great players. Love Buddha Baker, love Elijah Qualls, love John Ross, love Sidney Jones. Those are all great players. But um, when you've got great coaching in place, you can kind of plug and play. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal when you lose guys. I think it's actually a great sign that your program's doing some very good things. Yeah, they're definitely on a roll up there. It'll be interesting to see what Washington does next year. But, you know, losing those four guys, going to have to be replaced by Chris Peterson. Um, Stanford lost a big one, Solomon Thomas. I mean, if you ever watched any Stanford games, I mean, he's the guy that would always stand out to you. I think Dave and I both picked him as, like, our favorite guy when we were asked that question about our favorite dudes, like, he was the one, uh, just an absolute stud. So no surprise he's leaving, but that's a big loss. Yeah. I mean, he was obviously their, a huge part of why their defense was so good this year and, uh, losing him. I mean, their defensive line has been kind of limited, not, uh, not limited in terms of talent, but limited in terms of depth the last couple of years. And this obviously does nothing to help that. Um, so they, they, are probably in a little bit of a reloading mode on the defensive line. They need to find another really good playmaker like Solomon Thomas. But again, a program that has made a habit of reloading and rebuilding pretty quickly and easily. I mean, look at this year's, you know, 10 and three season. Uh, for Utah, a couple players. So it's safety Marcus Williams. And then, uh, I forget that who was the other offensive lineman, Dave, that ended up. Garrett Bowles. Garrett he's Bowles. the guy who came, he's the JC, number one JC guy. Came in for a year, started at left tackle, and then is declaring. Yeah. Um, he was debating coming back. Ultimately, um, decided to go. Um, probably, you know, another good sign for the Utah program. He was able to showcase himself. And Utah is one of those destinations that makes sense for you know graduate transfer type guys because um, the academic requirements aren't you know super crazy. So you can get in um, and you can. Uh, you can make an impact in your first year and then be gone. So, um, yeah, I think another good sign for that program that they're starting to churn out guys who have the ability to leave early. Okay. So there, and then USC just today, a little bit earlier, um, announced that, uh, well, he didn't, uh, Damian Mama announced on Instagram the, the guard for USC. He decided to declare for the NFL draft. So he's one of the kind of, Surprise ones, I guess you could say, Dave. Didn't think you were waiting on Adore Jackson and Juju Smith Schuster, but Damian Mama was like someone you thought might do it, and he ended up declaring. Yeah, the weird thing for me is I've always got to remember with the LA kids, like the kids who grew up basically in LA and then went to a school in LA, they're always going to have more voices around them pushing them to leave 
Um, it's just kind of the way it is because, you know, and not to get into the specifics, but there are just agents around all programs and not in like an illicit way. They're just, you know, I mean, some of UCLA's and UCLA's like big boosters and fans are, you know, probably guys affiliated with sports marketing and that sort of thing. Um, so you end up with voices around these guys and it's the, the glitz and the glamour. And so guys make maybe somewhat questionable decisions to leave early a lot more, I think from those from UCLA too, but from UCLA and USC than you might otherwise see from other programs in the PAC 12. I don't know. Would you agree with that? No. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know what? I, I mean, I think more than half of the agents in the world, like reside in Los Angeles. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot crazy. easier for that to, to, to bump into somebody here than maybe Corvallis. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I like Damian Mama. I don't think he's going to be one of those guys who goes undrafted after, um, you know, leaving early. But I think obviously, if if you know, I think if all of us were thinking, hmm, um, I, I think he probably could have served another year. And I, I think it could have served him to uh, to play another year. Um, it probably go a little bit higher in the draft. Um, but he's got a lot of physical tools. There's a reason he was a five star coming out of high school. Um, so I think he'll he'll end up getting drafted, but. Um, Maybe a little bit of a questionable decision, but obviously with any of these things, you don't know the family situation, you don't know his rationale, you don't know anything going on with why he decided to do it. So um, hopefully, hopefully it works out for him. Then uh, UCLA, my guy over there, Eddie Vanderdos or Vanderdos. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, this one happened a while ago. This was back in. I mean, this might have been right after the season in November. Um, but yeah, he, and he played four years. He redshirted um, last year after sustaining a pretty severe knee injury, um, and then he played this year. You know, looked looked pretty much fully back. I don't think he quite at the beginning of 2015 he looked like he was ready to put on a show, um, and I don't think he ever quite got to that level this year. But he was coming off an ACL. A lot of guys don't look right the year right after they come off an ACL. I'm excited to see how he looks in the combine. Um, doing the drills there. Um, and if he can, if he can do pretty well, get his body right for that, um, you know, I think he can be a, a you know, probably not a first rounder, but be a, a pretty decent draft pick. And then, uh, the last one that I, that on my list, Chad Hansen from, uh, Cal, uh, a little bit of a surprise there. I mean, he certainly was an effective receiver, but he declared for the NFL draft too. I think that was on Thursday, yesterday. Yeah. That one was a little bit confusing to me. But maybe he's just figuring, you know, his his stock's about what it's going to be. Um, he doesn't really have much to gain by coming back and, you know, catching passes from a non-Davis Webb, non, you know, Jared Goff, obviously, but non-Davis Webb quarterback, maybe. Uh, I, I would have to think that plays somewhat of a role in it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you don't know everyone's situation. and uh, But just one of those ones you're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, didn't I didn't really picture that. But, you know, hey, uh, you wish these guys the best. Let them... Uh, let them go out and try to make their millions. Hopefully they do and are wildly successful. Then they come back and donate to the school and everybody has fun. So it's good. Yeah. I mean, Cal could sure use the money. Does that, does that mean? No. Oh my God. So th- 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 that was one of the news things, Dave, I wanted to talk about. Sure. I think it was, was it for, there was, a, I can't remember which financial magazine it was that put out a list of all like the, the top schools, the athletic departments across the country that are in debt. And Cal's is like the most redonkulous and like their loan goes out to like 20, like the year 21, 12 or something like that, like millions of dollars a year. Like they could cut a lot of successful athletic programs. I mean, it is a real, it seems like it's an absolute nightmare right now there. Yeah. I mean, it's unconscionable that Cal is in so much incredible debt. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I think the, 
What's the full debt burden for University of California? As of September 16, 2016, it was seventeen billion dollars. Does that sound right? That sounds... For the entire University of California system? Well, that's the entire University of California. Yeah, yeah, that seems a lot. Be relevant. Like... Um, but yeah, they went they went hugely in the hole for their stadium rebuild, and I think they have like it's something crazy, like a hundred years to pay that off. But it's yeah. still like even paying off the interest on that is going to um, impede that athletic department for many, many years to come. So, um, the lesson, I, I don't know. It's probably to try to publicly fund your stadiums or just don't build them at all and give up revenue sports and just be an Ivy League school. <laughs> probably the lesson we've all learned from this. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's sad because you don't want to see, I hate, you know, I mean, obviously Title IX is a good thing as far as, yeah, you want to get equal, you know, you want women's sports to succeed. It sucks when you see successful men's teams have to be cut because of Title IX and just they don't have the budget for it. Um, and you know, really the TV revenue streams, I, you know, there, you can see so many people cutting the cord. It's, I don't think that's sustainable either. Um, yeah. it, there could be some huge fireworks there. I mean, it could get to the point where it's like you have football and basketball and, and not a whole lot else. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. I think a solution I've heard bandied about is to make football kind of its own separate entity and not really included under the umbrella of the rest of Title Nine. Which I don't know. That makes the most sense to me. Like that, there's nothing like it in women's sports. So like, it funds so much of the athletic department. Let it be separate. Don't have those. Yeah, it's just so tricky because then it speaks to the fundamental sexism of people not wanting to watch women's sports. Yada yada yada, and it's just you know I. I think it's like so many other things. It's a well-intentioned um, regulation or law, or I don't know what the exact terminology is. It's a well-intentioned regulation that I think probably has some unforeseen consequences that the uh, original people who made it didn't necessarily foresee. Gotcha. Um, what other news? Okay, so uh, UCLA got an offensive coordinator. We know that. Yes, uh, Jed the Fish. Uh, <laughs> Jed Fish. Uh, that was for all of you out there. Um, he, uh, he's the former Michigan quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator. I think in a vacuum, um, here, I'm just going to step on my soapbox for a second. Um, I think in a vacuum, uh, I think it's a good hire. Um, I think he's potentially an up and comer. I think he's had some good success in the past. I think he's, he's an accomplished enough guy. Um, he's worked on some good staffs. I think, you know, it's one of those things when Jim Harbaugh hires a guy or when Urban Meyer hires a guy or when Nick Saban hires a guy who's not a former USC head coach. You, you look at it and you say, hey, that's 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 a guy that maybe is, um, you know, his stars on the rise a little bit. So um, I, I think from that perspective and, you know, I, I know a little bit about him. I know he's um, <laughs> so Jim Mora got a little bit of heat yesterday. Um, for making one of his comments that I don't think he necessarily thought through very well, which happens on occasion with Jim, um, saying that uh, I'm paraphrasing, so don't kill me if I'm not quoting exactly, that uh, he didn't look at any spread guys um, because uh, as far as he knew, and I don't know if he said no, no spread, no predominantly spread team or no spread team at all has won a national championship, which is either way you slice it is not true. Um, but Jed Fish is probably not a spread guy. Um, whenever guys talk about being multiple um, and all this other stuff, um, and they, they, you know, they're not attaching themselves to spread concepts and they work for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, I'm going to say they're very likely not a spread guy. 
Um, but yeah, Mora's Mora's commentary drew a little bit of heat. Did you follow that at all yesterday? Just uh, just on Twitter, and it was funny to see the people, you know, tweeting in. Well, like Urban, like is Urban Meyer a spread guy? Like, yeah, <laughs> he won. I mean, he won it couple of Florida, he won at Ohio State. Um, you know, when when Auburn won with Cam Newton, like are, are you saying that that's not a spread or uh there was there was a yeah. lot of stuff like that. Even Alabama's doing stuff like you know, there's spread concepts and stuff. So it just seemed like I don't know, it's just one of those things that sometimes coaches I think they 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 have so much power that they can say something and they feel like it, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, like people will just believe you, but you get called out like instantly on Twitter. It just, it, it wasn't a good look, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then he went and got very defensive about it. And it's, this is, you know, it's one of his things. He gets very literalist when he wants to be. Um, and well, it's, you know, there, there's no such thing as a pure spread. So many teams that are running, you know, you, what you would call pro style are actually running four wide sometimes. And yeah, okay. But like, if you look at Nolmazoni's scheme, what is it? Ninety percent of the time, it's probably four wide, single back. It's wide splits on the offensive line. That's a spread. <laughs> and yeah, so in the goal line, maybe he, you know, has a big packet. Jim, you ran the spread for four years. That's what you ran. That was that was what that offense is called. And yeah, there might be some other stuff you do, but that's what people mean when they say the spread. They don't mean that you are only exclusively running four wide all the time. You're only exclusively running five wide all the time. It's either four or five wide all the time. I don't think there is a team that just does that all the time. I mean, there might be. I I don't want to marry myself to that statement, but I don't think there is pure anything. What anybody is talking about when they colloquially refer to the spread is predominantly spread. And so when he says, you know, no spread team has won the national championship, we all take him to mean what we all accept to be the term spread, meaning predominantly spread. So, you know, I I think he got caught in maybe saying something he didn't necessarily think through very well and then retroactively deciding that he meant, you know, a very literal definition of spread that no one actually takes as the definition of a spread. And I think some of it is that a lot of people think the spread is the quarterback, it's all zone read. Like the, the quarterback fakes the hands off and runs himself all the time. Like that's a spread, you know, so there's, there's so many spread concepts out there. You, I mean, you can run a spread where the quarterback isn't the most mobile guy in the world, but like you said, yeah. there's wide splits and a lot of wide receivers and stuff. So yes. Okay. You're not going to have a running quarterback, but it doesn't mean, you know, you're still not running a spread. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, again, it just goes to this like literalist thing that happens on occasion with Mora, especially where, you know, he, he just decides he means something very specific that no one could have possibly thought he meant. And it's just, you know, whatever, whatever. What it's else? fine. I mean, I think, I think Jedfish is going to end up running something that's fairly what everyone accepts to be pro style in nature, which means there'll be a lot of tight end. Um, I think, you know, maybe he, ends up a little more varied than they were this year. Um, I don't know if they're going to, you know, they kind of subtracted the fullback from the offense at the end of last year. I don't know if they're going to add it back um, in spring practice. It'll be really interesting to see, um, at least for UCLA fans. I'm not sure how interesting it's going to be for other teams to pay attention to what a 4-8 and eight team is doing in the offseason, but um, it should be should be interesting for, for the UCLA peeps out there. And then uh, I can't recall, I don't think there's any other recent coaching like big kind of coaching news unless i'm just spacing um, anything pop in your head no we already talked about jim levitt going to oregon yeah 
We did a bunch of it uh, last episode, so. You know, I'm interested to see. I, I don't know if David Shaw has given a firm no to interviewing for NFL teams. It'd be interesting to see if he's got any looks at the Niners or the Chargers. I don't think they've hired anybody yet. Um, or Rams. Oh, yeah, or the Rams. I forgot that that is an NFL team, and three, I forgot it had been Los Angeles. Three California NFL teams were, you know, looking for a new coach. If you saw, like, if you were, Dave, if I would have told you at the beginning of the year, okay, major football programs in California, three of them are going to be looking for head coaches, and neither one of them is going to be Clay Helton or Jim Mora, would you be like, wow, I, I wouldn't believe that. At the begin, so let's say last January, and you told me three programs in the LA area are looking for a head coach. Well, California, probably, California, uh, in California, sorry, um, are looking for a head coach. I would have probably guessed in order: USC one, Cal two, maybe. Could put Cal, yeah. And then I probably would have gone with the Chargers. Yeah, I think the Chargers would be in there. McCoy was. Yeah, McCoy was hot-seated last year at the end of the year, so I could have seen that one coming pretty quickly. I didn't think they would get rid of Chip after one year at the Niners. I think that's probably a little sudden. Um, and I, I just thought Jeff Fisher would die, the the Rams coach, in about 25 years. <laughs> um, so that one, I mean, that one wasn't a surprise, but it was somewhat. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought USC just with the expectations there, and I didn't, you know, I think Clay Helton you know, proved a lot of his haters and doubters, like me, not necessarily purely wrong, but certainly um, certainly that he is uh, a little bit better than we suspected uh, last offseason. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was certainly an interesting way for the season to go, where none of the college coaches were jettisoned, and instead all three of the pro coaches were. Yeah, and like with USC starting one and three, you would think, okay, that's the direction USC is going. The Rams yeah. were, I think the Rams were like three and one. They had a three-game yeah. winning streak early, so you're like, "Oh, Jeff Fisher will be around," and then, whoop, completely opposite. Not so much. Not so much. After that, um, okay, so that's probably the news. Should we go through the uh, the bowl games? Let's talk games. All right, so let's first talk about the Holiday Bowl featuring Washington State Cougars against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, Minnesota won this one. Seventeen to twelve. How grim of a score is seventeen to twelve? They big tend the crap out of this game. Um, Washington State's offense was garbage <laughs> in this game. Um, you know they they'd kind of made some bones this year uh, running the ball, and they weren't able to do pretty much anything on the ground in this one. Twenty three carries for thirty nine yards. Luke Falk took a ton of sacks. Um, he was not his usual self. Um, wasn't able to kind of hit the passes downfield that he needed to. Um, you know, they didn't probably try enough downfield. Um, and, you know, Minnesota was able to do kind of just enough offensively. You know, they're not by any stretch of the imagination a good offensive team. Um, they, they managed just 279 yards in this one. Um, this was such a Big Ten game. It was really, really tough to watch. Um, you know, I was kind of in the mode of, you know, I was I was rooting for Washington State to win, but not necessarily to cover, because I had Minnesota. Um, so I felt good about like that part of it. But yeah, this was not a uh, not a stellar performance for Washington State. They just kind of didn't look like the the motivated team they were for their eight game winning streak this year. They looked more like the team that lost to you know 
Eastern Washington at the beginning of the year and the team that lost to Washington uh, rather than that team that went on an eight-game run. 17 to 12 is always a terrible score. Uh, that's how we, when Steve Sarkeesian got fired, that was the score that he lost to Washington with. Like if it's 17 to 12, just things have gone wrong. Like there's something that's not right in that game yeah. for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, I thought, and we both got this right, by the way, it was, uh, Minnesota by 10 and a half. We both thought it would be kind of a big 10 kind of game. And we were both on it once. So we both got this right. Um, if you saw the opening drive, it looked good. Like it looked like Washington state. And then they stalled and had to kick a field goal. And then it was like, Dave, they couldn't get anything going after that. Um, you know, there was, uh, I think it was like a couple minutes left before the half and Washington state ended up recovering a fumble. You thought they'd get a little bit of a spark there, but again, they only managed a field goal. So it's six to three at half. And you're like, Hmm, like what, what's really going on here? Um, there was a weird tip pass in the end zone that Minnesota yeah. That Minnesota got a touchdown out of, and it made it ten to six. And you just got a feeling at that point something's got to change, or this, is, or Washington State's not going to win this game. It looked like it should have been an interception, ends up being a touchdown. So that was a huge swing. Um, and then there was a pick six uh, for Minnesota that didn't that they called back, and it wasn't a pick six, but it actually ended up being worse for Washington State because Minnesota would have scored early, and you would have had you know Washington State would have had a couple extra minutes to get the ball back late in the game. And they, so basically they just ran more clock and then scored anyway. Um, and then there was this Washington State scored and they were going for two. I don't know if you remember this. There was yeah. like 27 plays on that two point play. There were penalties. They kept, it took forever just to do this one play. There was a targeting where a, a Minnesota player got knocked out and he's out for the first half, uh, next year. Uh, but eventually, you know, they got the playoff and then Washington State tried an onside kick and they called it a very, a lumpy field and it didn't work. Uh, you thought a lumpy field might help the onside kick, but, uh, it did not. It was a ugly game, like Dave said. And, uh, yeah, not a, not a good way to finish the season for the Cougs. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they're going to live and die on their offense. And if their offense is only going to score 12 points, they're not going to win a game. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Um, this year, you know, when they, when they lost games, aside from Eastern Washington, it was when their offense just kind of fizzled. It's so weird for a Mike Leach team to have kind of a, I mean, it's a good offense, but it's not like super, super elite. Um, and, you know, they lost to Colorado, scored only 24 points, lost to Washington, scored only 17, lost to Boise State, scored only 28, lost to Minnesota, scored only 12. Um, just, you know, kind of a, a lack of consistency. It's a little bit concerning given that they did run the ball fairly well at times this year, and they do have Luke Falk, who we all acknowledge is a you know, very good quarterback, and they do have some receiving weapons. So, I don't know. I, I think maybe uh, maybe Leach needs to build in a little bit more variation to his offense because a team like Minnesota was able to handle it pretty well, and obviously with four weeks or so of preparation, but still, uh, not ideal. No, not ideal. So, I don't know. Maybe the uh, – we'll see. Hopefully that Washington State can get off to a better start to start next year. Not start off 0 and 2 or whatever. You thought maybe get a little momentum from this bowl game because it was certainly a winnable game, Dave, and, uh, weren't able to do it. So that was a, that was the first game where the Pac-12 team was a fairly big favorite and ended up, you know, double digit favorite and ended up losing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. should we move on to the Foster Farms Bowl? Let's do it. You're featuring your Utah Utes. All right. So Indiana 
came into the Foster Farms Bowl at six and six and gave Utah a real game. Um, this one came down to the wire for the Utes. Uh, so they won 26-24, but that result came on a last two-minute field goal. Uh, Andy Phillips nailed a 27-yarder uh, to win the game for the Utes, um, putting them up 26-24. But Indiana, I mean, they played a, a heck of a game. Um, they were able to score a little bit on Utah, which I kind of wasn't expecting this to be as high scoring as it was. No. I didn't think Indiana was able to, was going to be able to move the ball that well. And frankly, I didn't think Utah was going to be able to move the ball as well as it did. Joe Williams had a game. He, 26 carries for 222 yards um, and a touchdown. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't think either team would be able to move the ball as well as they were able to. I thought this was going to be much more of a defensive struggle, something like a 17-14 type thing. Um, but they were able to move the ball a little bit, um, and Utah kind of did what it's done all year, which is kind of win a game that it might not have expected them to win by the end of it, but they just kind of pulled it out, similar to that USC game where they just kind of pulled out a game where, you know, it looked like nothing was going their way towards the end, and then they just do it. So um, this was also, I'm remembering this game as very fumble-heavy. Yeah, yeah, there were five fumbles lost in this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seven total turnovers, and five of those were fumbles lost. Utah lost three, Indiana lost two, um, and it was just kind of an ugly mess at times. But, um, yeah, I actually had a lot of fun watching this game, um, and uh, it was good to see Utah come out with the win and also not cover because <laughs> I had Indiana uh, covering what I think was a two and a half point spread or a three point spread. I can't remember what it was. No, we I've written down six and a half point spread. So was it really? Yeah. Wow. So My we God. both we both took Indiana. So we both we picked against the Pac twelve schools the first two games. We got them both right. Uh, six and a half point spread. Uh, you know they Utah ended up winning by two. Utah fumbled the opening kickoff. Like that's <laughs> no, that's not the start. Uh, you want, but they, they end up getting a fumble recovery right back and then they, they punched it in. Um, they haven't been real good at, uh, scoring touchdowns in the red zone all year, but I think they did a better job, uh, in this one. Um, I think Indiana fumbled once inside the five yard line too. So that yeah. really helped, uh, Utah. But I thought the defense played well, uh, for Utah and there were some explosive plays on offense, uh, which is good. Um, Richard Lego, I think you said Lego is what they were saying on the broadcast. Um, they spell it L-A-G-O-W, but I think they say Lego. Um, he's awful as a quarterback. <laughs> he was just <laughs> terrible. I was like, what the hell? And then they brought in, uh, I think it's Diamond or something. Um, he's from LA and, uh, he had a Maybe couple. He threw one pass. Yeah, for a touchdown. It was like, why is that yeah. guy not in, you know? Um, yeah. but Lego, man, who was just awful. And like you said, Joe Williams was unstoppable. He did have a big, a, a really costly fumble. Um, but you know, he looked, he just looked, uh, unstoppable at times. Uh, I thought Indiana did a pretty good job. Like the quick hitting runs up the gut, uh, which I didn't think they'd be able to do against the Utah front, but that's kind of where they had a lot of their success when they tried to go wide. It just wasn't working, but yeah, like back and forth, lots of turnovers, higher scoring than you would have thought. And, uh, it's everyone wins. Utah wins and we cover. So it's good. Yeah, I think um, interesting notes from this one. Troy Williams, um, he didn't have a good year. No. Um, I saw Brian Swinney uh, tweeted something where he did like one of those sight unseen player A, player B, and it was Troy Williams' stats versus Travis Wilson's, and Wilson's were like 
significantly better in almost every aspect. He ran better. He threw the ball better. He had a better touchdown interception ratio. Just everything was better. And, you know, Travis Wilson was much maligned for most of his career at Utah. And, uh, he, he put together a much better year than Troy Williams did this year. So they're going to need some improvement at the quarterback position unless we're just going to have a repeat of every Utah season for the last three, just every single year where, yeah, they can run the ball and they can play defense pretty well, but they can't throw it at all. Um, and it would be nice to see a Utah team with some really competent quarterback play um, because I think that could be a true Pac-12 contender. Um, Kyler Huntley and Xander Diamond, here's a little weird stat for you. Both backup quarterbacks threw one pass, completed it for 36 yards. So there you go. How's that? That's. I don't think you'll get that anywhere else, Dave. No, you don't get that kind of insightful analysis on any other <laughs> any other podcast, but the podcast of champions. Certainly. Um, so there's a win. So Pac-12 one-on-one. And I guess we'll move on to the uh, Valero. They call it the Alamo Bowl with, and I say yours normally, but this is really yours. Colorado Buffalo. Yeah. Buff Stampede! Every stampede has to stop somewhere, and <laughs> the, the cowboys corralled the stampede. You like that? You like that? You see I what I did there? That's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, Oklahoma State beat the crap out of Colorado. Uh, 38-8 doesn't actually reflect how non-competitive this game was. You know, I didn't expect it going into it, but Colorado had the look of a team that was kind of just going through the motions a little bit, um, which is a weird thing to say about a team that hasn't been in a bowl game in like a decade um but they looked like they were kind of cheesed off that they weren't in the rose bowl i don't know did you get that vibe at all watching them that they just they didn't look like they came to play really yeah to be honest i didn't watch a lot of this game because it was uh i was at the beef bowl at lowry's eating super bad eating some prime rib and then i saw the score and i'm like i think i'll just let dave handle this one you know it's his buffaloes uh i did go watch some highlights and stuff so i didn't get a, a vibe as far as the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it wasn't but. good. It, it wasn't good. Um, Sefalu Fowl was kind of this, the, the Sefalu Fowl we saw over the, essentially the last nine games of the year. He was really only very, very good through the first, like, two and a half games. Well, when did the Michigan game happen? Was that the second or the third game? I think it was the third game. Third game, yeah. Um, yeah, so he was good third, through the first yes. two and a half. You know, he almost carried them to a win over Michigan. If he hadn't gotten hurt, it would have been really interesting to see what happened in that game. But when he came back from injury, he was not the same guy. Um, and, you know, I think there was some loyalty factor there. I think they wanted to play with him because he was playing and he was healthy and he was or relatively healthy and they wanted him to play. But, um, you know, it would have been interesting to see the version of this year where Steven Montez maintains the starting job throughout the entire year. Um, whatever. Colorado finished 10-4. and four. There's nothing nothing really to complain about. Um but uh, Sefalu Fowl, he got hurt again in this game, yeah. uh, had to go down again, which you just hate to see. Um, but he's clearly a guy who's taken a ton of punishment throughout his career. You know, it seems like this is the first year people are noticing him. But this has been one of the toughest guys in the Pac-12 for four years now. And he's taken a ton of punishment. And it kind of caught up to him this year. Um, he's had to sit out a bunch of time. I think he sat out a bunch of last year, too, with uh, the foot injury. But. Um, he had, he's had to sit out a bunch of time this year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a rough one to watch. Um, Oklahoma State, I mean, really the story of this game was that Colorado's defense, which had been really, really good coming into this, just was no match for Oklahoma State. 
Um, James Washington was making some just great catches all over the Colorado DBs pretty much all game. Um, Oklahoma State did what it does um, to pretty much every defense, and it treated Colorado's you know top 15-ish, top 20-ish defense like any other defense. So, you know, we kind of didn't know what to expect from one of those video game um, Big 12 offenses versus, versus a pretty good defense, and we... We learned that the offense certainly wins this one, um, and Colorado wasn't able to generate anything offensively against what wasn't a very good Oklahoma State defense. So um, that was a big win, I think, for the perception of the Big 12. I, I think this kind of maybe elevates the standing of that league um, in the eyes of people, even though bowl games probably shouldn't matter for that assessment anyway. Yeah, and I think it hurts the, the Pac-12 a little bit because, you know, this was a team that could have gone to the Rose Bowl, you know, and they go to the Alamo Bowl and get smoked. So... Yeah, you would hope that there's not a overlooking the bowl factor when you haven't been to a bowl, like you said, in double digit years. Um, and you know, and I think we talked about this in the preview, Dave. If it was, if like Cephalufa was hurt going into it and Steven Montez was preparing the whole time, I think he would have done better. It seemed like he did better in those situations. Yeah. It was harder for Montez to come in off the bench, especially when it was like, you know, Lufau was banged up a little bit. It was weird in the USC game where Lufau was healthy enough to get in there and play a little bit, but they let Montez play because they prepared him from the beginning. So when he got banged up a little bit, they brought him in. But for the most part, it was always Lufau. And, uh, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen what they have done all year, uh, with Montez. But I think just even if Lufau could have stayed healthy, I mean, to come out almost every game, I mean, there's something wrong. Like I just, you feel bad for the kid because he's been so tough. Um, yeah. But, you know, so this was a three-point spread. Colorado was favored and ended up getting uh, hammered. Um, Dave got this one wrong because that was his Buffaloes. I got this one right, so I picked uh, Oklahoma State. And, like I said, it wasn't close. Well, don't worry about it because North Carolina was there to carry me. (laughs) We'll talk about that one. (laughs) Let's talk about that one right now. Should we talk about that one right now? Okay, so so the next bowl game, they call this – oh, wait, yeah. The uh, Hyundai Sun Bowl. Uh, Dave mentioned North Carolina, but it also had your very own Stanford Cardinal. Okay, so this game looks like a relatively innocuous 25-23 victory for Stanford, yada, yada, yada. This game got stupid at the end. Um, so <laughs> North Carolina throws, let me get this right. I want to get this all right. Um, they're down, or no, they're up 17-16, is that right? Were they up 17-16? I think you're right. I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. so they're up 17-16, and they're um, getting ready to start another offensive drive. It's the beginning of the fourth quarter. You know, They've kind of played Stanford game, but they're starting to get some things going. They've scored 10 points in the last you know, like 10 minutes of play time. They've come back from a 16-7 deficit, and Mitch Trubisky throws a pick six um, right to Dallas Lloyd, returns it for a touchdown. It's 22-17 UNC. The next drive, UNC punts, then Stanford drives down, kicks a field goal. Stanford's got this game in hand at this point. It's, you know, there's about three minutes and 23 seconds left. They're up by eight points on the next drive, UNC punts, and then Stanford punts it right back. And then magic happens. A minute and 30 to go. North Carolina drives all the way down the field, and they score a touchdown. Putting the final score at 25-23 after they missed the two-point conversion, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted a Stanford win, and I wanted UNC to cover the two and a half. <laughs> and they did it on that exact play, and it was magic to watch. 
This was like honestly like this was the most fun I think I had <laughs> aside from a game we'll talk about in a little bit just because of the drama of covering the point spread. Oh, stupid David Shaw, you know, like this oh, was so good. It was so good. So this was perfect was, David Shaw. So perfect David Shaw. Right. So Dave and I we picked differently. Dave was a couple picks behind me, so he needed to do a few different ones and so I think we switched. I think I started picking first. And so I picked uh Stanford to cover the two and a half. Um and obviously it was a two and you know, two and a half point spread, they end up winning by two. So it wasn't you know uh part of the problem is Keller Chris got injured early in this one. And I think it was uh he he like blew out his knee, right? I mean it's like a Yeah, no, he had a bad injury. It was an ACL. It's a serious you know, serious injury there. So I they I thought the offense looked a lot better when he was kind of getting his rhythm uh later in the season, but that that kind of hurt. Um the Stanford kicker has hit the upright four times this year, and he did one in this game too. So that's, you know, when you're talking about a two and a half point spread, like if you miss a field goal or an extra point or anything, that's what, bad. What about, what about UNC's goal line stand? Um, first and goal at the one, and then they don't score a touchdown. Yeah. How about that? That you was like very that? David Shaw. Was there, would they run like two Wildcats or something in there? They went Cameron Scarlett a couple of times, and then I think it was a Wildcat. It might not have been a wildcat. It might have just been a pitch to Bryce Love. I'm trying to remember. There was a big loss somewhere when you, yeah, which no, you, no, would the, you love the, to the see third, starting the, at the, the one. The, the third and goal was sick. It was Bryce Love got a loss for like four yards, but I can't remember if he just got a pitch or if it was a wildcat, but it was a really stupid looking play. It uh, was pure David Shaw calling, calling plays in the red zone. And then what, what you talked about. So the, the defense played well all day. The Stanford defense yeah. played well and they had pinned North Carolina back at like the five. With under two minutes left or something, right? Like it was something crazy yeah. in oh, about yeah. a minute. And they, North Carolina, they've not done anything like this all day. A 95 yard <laughs> touchdown drive and, and in like a minute. And yeah. you're just yeah. like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. There was, there was, so was a, the back door of all back door. And then you're hoping, okay, then I'm hoping they need to you're make for overtime. But yes. No. The two no, point conversion. No overtime for you, sir. And it was like no. the worst two point conversion play. Like it was just awful. No, it was like they were playing for me. They were playing <laughs> specifically for me. And I appreciated North Carolina for that fact. The, uh, I tweeted out, um, I think I tweeted out something like, continue to watch this Stanford offense or scratch my eyes out. Which one do I, you know, it's something like that. <laughs> and, and I got, you know, there's like a dozen Stanford fans out there in the Twitter world and like a couple of them were tweeting at me. Blah, blah, blah. It was pretty funny. I was like, are you telling me that this is like not unwatchable? Like, well, the quarterback got hurt. I'm like, yeah, I know. I mean, he's out all that stuff, but it doesn't make the offense watchable. Like there's reasons why it's, it's, it's not as good as it should be, but it shouldn't be this bad. Yeah. It was really bad. Um, I would say that Bryce Love's pretty good. Uh, yes. He was watchable, completely watchable. It's just their passing game was so bad for such a huge portion of this game. The red zone play calling was questionable throughout the game. <laughs> That's David um, Shaw. Yeah, that's David Shaw. Um, and their defense carried them. Um, you know, I think this this kind of shows that the offense without Keller Chris is kind of the same as the offense was at the beginning of the year. Um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully he's healthy to start the year next year. Um, I think that's got to be the hope the hope for Stanford. You know, guys are starting to come back from ACLs a lot quicker than they used to. Um, but still, that can be a a tough tough injury to to recover fully from yeah we wish him the best and uh yeah so nice win for stanford uh not not great for vegas if you were on the other side of that 
Not um, great for Ryan Abraham. Man. Well, you know, we both went four and two in our picks. So, but this would have, this would have gave me a, a significant edge over you because these are the two games we had different. So losing that one by half a point, that it was hurt. That was tough. Um, yeah. okay. So we'll move on to the, uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which is a, uh, one of the national semifinals, uh, with your very own number four ranked Washington Huskies. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, uh, Bama did what Bama does. They beat this Washington team, this very good Washington team by 17 points. It really didn't feel that close for a large portion of it. Washington scored first and then they didn't score again. Uh, they scored seven points and then, uh, and then didn't really come particularly close to scoring again. Um, as has been the case with pretty much every Alabama opponent this year, they were not able to run the ball virtually at all. Um, 29 carries for 44 yards, which is actually semi-respectable against this, uh, Bama defense, or it would have been without all the sacks. Um, Jake Browning kind of played the same way he's played against, you know, the really good defenses he's played this year. The story for me was, you know, honestly, I, we were all expecting Washington to lose. Um, the story for me was Washington defense really played a game. Um, they came to play. They really, really made Jalen Hurts' life kind of miserable for a large portion of this game. You know, he couldn't throw the ball nearly at all. Um, Lane Kiffin called the weirdest damn game I've seen from Lane Kiffin since he was coaching USC, um, where he just decided he was going to throw the ball a little bit too much and you know, run Jalen Hurts way too much when Bo Scarborough was rattling off like 10 yards a carry every single time he touched the ball. Um, he ended up with 19 carries for 180 yards and two touchdowns, and everyone came away from that game with some idea of why didn't he carry the ball about 15 more times? Because um, if he had, this probably would have been more like a 42-7 to type game. Um, because, you know, for all that Washington's defense looked really good, and I think it did in this game, uh, they had no answer for the big, strong, powerful, fast Bo Scarborough. I agree, and uh, this this game actually reminded me uh, a lot of when USC played Alabama, where it was kind of close early. The problem is that you make any mistake, and they just jump on it. Yeah. And that pick six, it changed uh, the whole complexion of the game. Yeah, like you can you can trade body blows for a while, and their their body blows are a little stronger. But you're 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 both dancing around, you know. And and I think that's what Washington was doing early on. Um, but then you get you give up points like that, you you start turning the ball over. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to recover. And it's like you kind of have to play a flawless game and then have something go right, you know, after that. Um, and that, you know, that opening drive where they scored a touchdown, that's at least it, you put a, it's a statement, you know. Um, but to score early and then never score again, uh, that's bad. <laughs> that's the, that's not good for the offense. You know, in Alabama, like you said, I, I mean, so, so news coming out of this game afterwards, Lane Kiffin was essentially fired by Nick Saban. He's moving on to, cause he's become the head coach of Florida Atlantic. He wanted to finish the national championship game. Saban decided otherwise, even though, you know, that's what they said. And Steve Sarkeesian, who was an offensive analyst, both former USC head coaches, by the way, working for Saban, um, is now going to be the offensive coordinator five or six days before the national championship game. He's inserted, you're the offensive coordinator now. So call it plays. So you can imagine I'm getting all kinds of calls of people, radio and everything. They want to talk about those guys because we, you know, covered both of them. But you're right about Lane. Like Lane was always about, I think he's, he can be very creative. Um, I think, you know, I don't think he's like an offensive genius, like a lot of people say, but he's a guy that's an X's and O's guy and he wants to outsmart you all the time. And so 
when Bo Scarborough is just running over poor little people in purple uniforms and just bashing their heads like little trolls or something, he doesn't want to do that because you can see that that's working and everyone knows, just run that guy. He wants to show you, well, watch, I can do this. And what that resulted in, 57 total yards passing for Alabama. And they still covered the spread. So um, it was a it was a lame game, like one of those things where, you know, hey, why weren't you using this guy? Why weren't you using that guy? You got O.J. Howard, who's like the best tight end in the world, and they didn't use him like at all last year until the national championship game, and he has like 200-something yards. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was weird, Dave. Uh, I think Alabama could have won by – they still covered the spread. We both got this one right. We both took Alabama minus 14 and a half. But it could have been worse if they would have kind of stuck to – what was working on offense as opposed to trying to what I believe is Lane Kiffin trying to like show off a little bit. And if you're a Washington fan, I think there's a few major points of solace from this game and season. First from the season, you went 12 and two. That's then you made the playoff. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Second from this, <laughs> from this game itself. First, I mean, you were a kind of a first, a, you were, you were pretty much a dumb throw at the end of a half from being down 10, seven in the, in the, you know, semifinal. That's that's winning distance. I mean, especially with the way Kiffin called this game, it didn't take a whole lot to to swing your eyes. Eh, maybe this could. I mean, it, take away that pick six, and it's a seventeen seven game. You know, and that's just a couple of luck things. Um, if if a little bit of luck had swung Washington's way, there was also the the near fumble, or it was a fumble, um, to in the third quarter um, on Alabama's side of the field. They had a fumble. And Washington came close to recovering it, but didn't recover it. Um, you know, and fumbles, those are 50-50. You know, most statistical things say, you know, when there's a fumble, it's 50-50 whether you're recovered or not. They didn't recover it. Um, they had a chance at it, and they didn't. If they recover that, and if they didn't throw an interception at the end of the first half, it's a game. Yeah. Um, and uh, not to go full Pac-12 homer, but this was very clearly a game where Alabama... <laughs> Where Washington wasn't getting some calls on Alabama. There were some very, very obvious holds and that sort of thing that Alabama was doing that, you know, just didn't get called. And, you know, that stuff's going to happen, um, in any kind of game. But I think there are a few points where Washington can say, Hey, you know, we, we played a, we played Alabama tougher than most teams do. Um, and, you know, there were a few opportunities for us to actually, you know, put a real scare into them versus, you know, just kind of succumbing to the, the crock potting as the solid verbal guys call it. <laughs> It was, I mean, but, you know, as weird as the offense was for Alabama, I mean, you have to give a lot of credit to the Washington defense. I, I mean, they were the, the unit that kept them in the game. If the offense sure. could get anything going, uh, and you know, you don't know. I mean, you're talking about a true freshman quarterback. He's got so many good players around him. There's usually not pressure on him, you know, because it's like, yeah, I can screw up. The defense will get the ball back. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, but if, you know, if the Washington offense could have scored a few more points, then you at least put some pressure on them. You're talking about a second half game, um, where, you know, it's not in doubt. So it would have been nice to see that. Uh, but it's, it's not easy to move the ball, uh, on that Alabama defense. And so, you know, what could you do? And I, just when you saw what Jake Browning looked like against Colorado in the championship game, they won, but he just didn't look that sharp. If he would have looked a lot better, Dave, I probably would have take, you know, took Washington to, to cover. Uh, but because you know, I knew Jake Browning was going to have to have a monster game, and I thought, you know, maybe he'll play okay, but I, I just didn't see him having that monster game. And, you know, he, it came out really strong, and that was a great touchdown pass, but to not score a point after that, I mean, there's no way you can win. 
now. And I think, um, you know, he does have some limitations. Hopefully he kind of grows just, you know, he's going to have to be one of those guys who's just perfect in his reads, perfect in his accuracy, perfect in his touch. Because he's probably not going to develop the arm strength or he's ever going to be hitting those outs to the sideline the way he needs to um, to really beat a defense like this. He's just going to have to be perfect. You know, they should... What I did think was a missed opportunity in this one was just not taking enough shots deep because it sounds counterintuitive with a guy who doesn't have the plus arm strength, but he has pretty good touch. He has a pretty good ball that he can... You know, It's a catchable ball when he throws deep. And when you throw deep, at worst, it, it acts like a punt. You know, I mean, and you throw a pick on a deep ball. It's way different from throwing it out that you can't hit and they catch a pick on it and return it for a touchdown. Um, you know, I think thrown to us, thrown to the sideline against this fast of a defense with a quarterback who's, I think, you know, even if you're a big Washington guy, I think you've got to say Browning isn't one of those guys with plus arm strength. Um, I just don't think that's, that's necessarily the strategy to victory. I don't think they could dink and dunk against this Bama team. Um, and they needed to find more opportunities to, to throw downfield and get, you know, single coverage stuff. And it's tough against Alabama because they can generate a pass rush with four, but you have to do everything you can to catch, you know, get them, get some kind of one on one matchups downfield. You know, early on, Dave, I thought they had good success. It wasn't necessarily like dump offs, like in the flat, but it was patterns where they, like maybe the back would go all the way out to the sideline and get it out there. And there was some space out there. And, uh, you know, they can break some tackles and, and make some big runs. Then they, they seem to kind of keep it a little tighter. So you were throwing it more to the flat and then just getting buried. And, uh, you, you got to at least get beyond that first wave of defenders, maybe over the top. You, you know, you got to do some counter stuff where they maybe over pursue and you dump it over their heads. And they had some of that success early. And then I think they kind of got away from it. And, you know, maybe Alabama adjusted and, and took some of that stuff away. But I agree. I don't think you can beat this Alabama team by throwing something near the line of scrimmage and hoping your guy can get away because you're just not getting away. But throwing the ball downfield, you can get one-on-one coverage and you can have your guy make a play and have a good shot as long as you have enough time for Browning to, to get rid of the ball, and that's not always easy either. And that was funny. The first couple drives, I think, for Washington, they were successful because there wasn't any negative plays. And then after that, the next like five or six drives – there was always a negative play. There was a sack or a hold or something like that. And once you're behind schedule, then you're done. And then you're just like, okay, well, you just got to get better, <laughs> get some punt yards and that's it. Um, so I thought the Alabama defense did some nice adjustments where at least once a series, they were forcing a negative play. And once they do that, you're pretty much buried. Yeah, exactly. Should we move on to the granddaddy? Yeah, the granddaddy and uh, maybe the best game of the college football season. Yeah, so uh, so I mean, semifinal game. Hats off to Washington. Uh, would have loved to see them play in the championship, but now we got Alabama and Clemson, which should be really good too. The uh, January second uh, granddaddy of them all, featuring your USC Trojans. So USC and Penn State played probably at, even if you're a you know a big you know, whatever, an ACC fan or whatever. This was probably a top three game for the entire season. I'd say it was probably the most fun I've had watching a football game this year. Um, USC came out on top 52-49. Um, Sam Darnold did some huge myth-making in this one. I think there's going to be an unbridled hype train surrounding Sam Darnold in USC this offseason. That should be very annoying for the fans of 11 Pac-12 schools and very fulfilling for 
fans of one Pac-12 school. Um, but this was this was so much fun back and forth the whole way. USC had control early. I think they went up twenty to seven at one point. Was it twenty-seven to seven? No, it was twenty to seven, and then it was twenty-seven fourteen um, at two different points in the first half. Then Penn State went on a run um, when it was twenty-seven twenty-one. Penn State scored the next twenty-one unanswered. Went up forty-two to twenty-seven. Then USC came firing back um, from forty-two to twenty-seven. Then it was. Uh, you know, Penn State scored again, but it got to 49-49, and then USC got the ball late after a Trace McSorley really questionable decision to throw it deep, but whatever. He tried to make something happen, and I'm not going to fault him for that at the end of a game, um, because the way USC was playing at that point, I would not have wanted to go to overtime anyway. Um, he throws a pick, um, Leon McQuay grabs it, and then, um, so, I'm going to nitpick here just because I, I just can't, I can't, you know, genuflect about this for too long. Um, <laughs> you love what, it, Dave. What the hell was Clay Helton thinking at the end of that game? Because, all right, so they've got 27 seconds, and I think they, had, they still had a timeout or two timeouts maybe. I don't know if they even had a timeout. No, no timeouts. But anyway. No timeouts, no. No timeouts, but he has 20 seconds, and he runs on the Penn State 33. So if you get dropped right there, like if you don't have any gain whatsoever, you're kicking a 50-yard field goal, right? Yes. With a guy who's already missed, had he already missed two? Two, yeah, like two, like 48-yarders or something. Yeah, he'd already missed two. Uh, um, and so even if you get a nice gain, which Ronald Jones ended up doing, five yards, you're not probably getting another playoff unless you you know spike it and then have one throw to get it a little bit closer, which would probably be kind of stupid unless you get it to the sideline. So it was just kind of weird. I don't know why you don't try to throw it especially with the way Darnold was playing at the end of this game. But, all right, that's all nitpicky. Well, um, I, I asked him about that, actually. Um, what so did he say? We had, so we had a conference call, and uh, I asked him about, was there, you know, was that the plan? And uh, so he said that he felt that once the the interception, after the interception, Boromeister was in his range already. And like you said, he'd already missed two longer field goals. Uh, but he said that he gave, uh, the, the play call was actually, Darnold had a run-pass option. Um, but when I went back and looked at it, it looked like, I mean, yeah, it was kind of like that, but I think they were going to hand it off no matter what. I think the main thing was they wanted to have Bormeister, who's a left footer, on the left hash. So the other kicks he missed, I believe, were from the right hash. He's got a little bit of a hook to it. So I think that, you know, it was a good run by Ronald Jones. He got five yards, 46 yards. They, you know, calmly got up and just spiked it with five seconds left. And they were, that's what, it's like, that was the plan. And, uh, you know, it works, so it's hard to follow them, but I, I get what you're saying. I thought you'd at least, you know, Darnold's really good at the 10, 15 yard throw. So that's, that's putting it to more chip shot range if you complete one. Um, but you know, they said they gave him a run pass option. They tried it and Bormeister's kick was kind of lined up with the left upright, but it had the hook to it. So by the time it went through, it was pretty much down the middle and, uh, they went absolutely bonkers on the field. It was, it was kind of a crazy scene, but yeah, that's, that's what Helton told me at least, Dave. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not an offensive coordinator, but like I would say, Sam Darnold conservatively is about, I would say about 90% completion rate when he just rolls to his right. He's a freak, man. <laughs> Watching him roll to his right, and I'm just like, oh, well, he's going to complete something about 15 yards downfield yes, right now. All the That's time. That's just what he does. And so, like, 20 seconds to go, I'm I'm 
probably rolling Sam Darnold out to his right and seeing if he can make something happen. And if you consider yourself already in Bormeister's range, then great. Or Bormeister. How do you... Bormeister? I would say Bormeister. And I've heard all the other... But I believe it's... It's spelled with two E's, but I think it's Bormeister. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. Bormeister. Um, if you're already in his range, then great. Then you're not hurting anything by you know having Darnold roll out a little bit and try to get something a little bit closer. Because yeah. at that point... I mean, the way Darnold was playing on the previous drive, where he went three plays for 80 yards, <laughs> you know, he can he could probably score a touchdown with 20 seconds from the 33. I mean, that's 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 certainly in his wheelhouse at that point. Um, so what are uh, so what are the expectations for Darnold at this point? Because I mean, he just he effectively took this game over down the stretch. I mean, I you know I, I think he's he's got a strong claim to being um, probably the best quarterback in the Pac-12 entering next year. Um, you know, not to not to you know provide my own wind for the sales of the hype, the good ship hype. But um, I mean, what are the expectations for him? Are you, are are USC fans expecting full national title run and him to go him to go pro after next year? What's the feeling? You know, it's probably going to be fairly tempered. Usually, you don't get a lot of like the hype machine thing around USC football. Yeah, no, they're, they're usually that's... a very reasonable fan base that doesn't get too over their own heels. <laughs> Out um, over their skis, I should say. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's going to be, they'll be a top probably four preseason team. He'll be on every Heisman watch list. Every, you know, when you got Herb Street and everybody talking him up in a national game like that. And, you know, he set the Rose Bowl record. No one's ever thrown five touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. And that last one to tie the game to Deontay Burnett was when you look, you look at the film breaking it down. I mean, he threw to a guy that was not open, that was covered. There, there was two other guys around him to cover him. And he put it perfectly in the end zone on a, a on a route that it was supposed to be cut off shorter. And Deontay Burnett thought he could. Make something yeah, bigger. He, he just he just threw it over a couple of safeties, which like if and like you know if if ninety percent of quarterbacks try that, it gets picked off and returned for a long long gain. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, and it's funny he's such a quiet kid, and uh, you watch him after the game, and like you know everyone's jumping around going crazy, and he's like, yeah, it's cool, you know, it's just like he's so calm. Um, but yeah, that there's gonna be super high expectations, Dave, and uh, this. With Clay Helton and even a lot of the USC fans still don't, you know, like him as a hire. I think they should have hired somebody else and all that stuff. But he, you know, he won the last nine games. They won the Rose Bowl, beat both rivals, all that kind of stuff. But we've seen this happen before. Like Lane Kiffin had a great year. They went yeah. 10 and two. They beat like Oregon on the road, Notre Dame on the road. They had it sanctioned. So they couldn't go to a bowl game. And the hype machine was in full, bowl, you know, Matt Barkley coming back and all that stuff. And they end up going seven and six. So. There's, you certainly have to protect against that. And because Clay Helton, you know, this is, this was his first year, you have no idea how he's going to handle the bullseye on your back. You know, when you're the targeted one and you're not the guy, the underdog coming in and trying to win a game at Washington, you're not going to be the underdog in probably any game next year. So, um, it's a whole different story. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how they handle it. But yeah, I mean, expectations and hype, I mean, already through the roof, Dave. Yeah. Um, well, at least he won't have Max Brown to fake start for the first four games like he did this year. <laughs> yeah, Max Brown had his first uh, press conference today for the University of Pittsburgh, so he he's enrolled there. So we wish him wish him the best. Yeah, we wish him the best, and uh, hopefully he gets a, a a fair deal there. 
And we both so we both got this one wrong. Uh, USC was favored by six and a half and end up winning by three. Three. Um, I'll, it, I'll take the loss because this was a really fun game. To it watch. was. I mean, one of the craziest things. So it looked early. You know, USC was up thirteen nothing and looked like they should have been up twenty one nothing. The first two Trace McSorley passes were picked off. Um, you know, one corner on one side, Iman Marshall, one corner on the other side, Adoree Jackson, and uh, then. The weird part, the middle of the game, uh, Penn State the scored. Penn State receivers were incredible. In catching everything. Trace McSorley is kind of like a punter at quarterback. He throws yeah, balls up for grabs. And those first couple picks were examples of that. Um, but then he starts throwing some dimes. And uh, they scored. Penn State scored on seven straight possessions. Touchdowns. So they scored 49 points. It was all in seven possessions in a row. And... From the end of the second quarter and then through the beginning of the third, on four straight offensive plays, Penn State scored a touchdown. Now, how screwed up is that? So the the last play of the first half, touchdown. First play of offense for the second half, touchdown. I think it was a Saquon Barkley, like 70-something yard run. Then uh, a Chris Godwin, 70-something yard touchdown reception, which Iman Marshall got his hand on it and tipped it. And Godwin's Iman, caught it. Iman Marshall could not have defended that better, <laughs> and it went for a touchdown. Yeah. Like he literally, he literally defended <laughs> the pass. Like he tipped it, he and hit it, it, he hit the ball, and it and it just went right into the receiver's hands for a touchdown. So that's three in a row. And then USC turned the ball over, and it was returned down to like the three, and I think it was like a three yard run or something. So four straight offensive plays, Penn State scored a touchdown, and then somehow in the fourth quarter. The USC defense, cha- they shut him out. And even that's after Dory Jackson went out with an injury, um, injuring his ankle on a return. And then the USC offense started rolling again. And it was to be down. So if you're in the press box, this is a little how the sausage is made, I guess. You have to time getting down to the field because you can go down to the field in the last five minutes. And certain places like the Rose Bowl, you got to walk through like the crowd to get down to the field. There's no like direct way. And so... If it's a blowout and you're even at five minutes left, it's like you're fighting a, you're a salmon swimming upstream. It's just really hard. Um, but this was a, you know, closer game. So most people weren't leaving. So we kind of work your way down there. And by the time I got to the field, it you know, but at that point you thought it was over. Like, okay. So you're thinking about your stories or whatever you're going to write. And, uh, then, you know, USC cut it to seven. They got the ball back and punted. And at that point you're like, okay, they can't punt. Like that's bad. Um, and they get, they get a big stop against Penn State and, uh, Penn State punts the ball. And like, like Dave said, I think it was a three play drive with a couple of really blatant pass interference calls that they, USC wouldn't get in those calls all game and they were just getting mugged. And then the, the Penn State defenders were like, what? <laughs> um, but yeah. they, they marched on the field and they scored a touchdown to tie it and the place went crazy. And then at that point, you're like, okay, the best you could hope for is overtime because there's like a minute left and Penn State has the ball. And McSorley throws up a basically a pop fly to Leon McQuay, who would have returned it for a touchdown and just drops it, flat out drops it. And you're like, that was the game. Yeah, that was the ball game. And uh, even I was standing next to Reese Davis. He's like, oh, and everyone's going you know, crazy. It was like five deep on the sideline. And then the very next Trace McSorley play, Kind of like the first half, this first two passes, he throws another pop fly up there, and McQuay makes some ridiculous. It was way harder interception, and then he tiptoes down the sideline, like you said, all the way into field goal range. And then once once they hit that field goal, 
it was absolute pandemonium. And then I've never, I don't remember like the players and coaches and support staff seeing that much emotion on the field. Like there was former players and all kinds of stuff, people crying and hugging. And you just got that feeling, Dave, because they're like five or six years of so much crap going on around the program from the Pete Carroll years to sanctions and Kiffin and Sark and all that stuff. It just seemed like everything let out, you know, and it was just this outpouring of emotion. And I've never really seen it like that. So it, it was a really crazy game. One of the best I've seen that the 2006 Rose bowl with Texas, you know, it's right up there with that. It was, it was absolutely insane. Yeah. I'm sure the other PAC 12 teams, um, and all of their fans, their, their their hearts are really bleeding for the USC players and fan base and coaches right now. Like were, just, oh, we're so glad. We're so, so happy. There was an amazing, so if you go to penlive.com, I don't know if you saw this, Dave. Um, the writer is David Jones. And uh-huh. uh, he said, enduring USC's band, quote unquote, conquest after gut punch loss is a special slice of hell for Big Ten fans. And it's pretty awesome where they talk about, you know, the Big Ten teams that would come out here and get beat by USC and you got to listen to the band and all this stuff. And he's like, the worst part is you'd rather be them than you because we got to go back to the snow. And all it was it was a really great story that was got kind of got tweeted around. So if you check it out on Penn Live, it's pretty funny. Uh-huh. I know you're, you're jumping all over that. <laughs> but oh, so good. It was it was it was crazy. Um it was a really fun, it was, it was cool to be part of something like that, just to be able to be on the field and, and see it all and stuff. Um, but that's why you well, love college well, I football. Saw, I saw four wins in the Rose Bowl this year. Nice. UCLA. Uh, no, I actually don't think all four wins were in the Rose Bowl, were they? <laughs> no. Maybe they were. Were they all home games this year? <sighs> now you're going to make me look this up. And by you, I mean the statement I just made is going to make me look this up. UCLA won four games this year. Ah, no, one was on the road. Okay, one was on the road. So I, I thought I saw three wins, three Rose Bowl wins this year. So there you go. Not bad. There you go. Um. Well, okay. So we both got this wrong. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else in the game. Did you have something else in the game or no? I got nothing else. In okay. This game. Um. Yeah, you were over it. Like after you made your opening rant. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. I was super done. Super Sorry. done. Then I went on a rant myself, so sorry. I apologize for that. No, but. it was good. No, I loved your rant. Okay. It was everything I wanted it to be, and just <laughs> just a little bit more. <laughs> okay, so we both ended up going four and two against the spread. Uh, really good. And you know, I went fifty-two, thirty-four, and three against the spread. I mean, that's 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 pretty legit. Dave went fifty, thirty-six, and three. Also, really, really good. So all of our picks against the spread for the whole season. Uh, I think we did an amazing job. So pats our pats to ourselves on the back. Yeah, if you bet a hundred bucks on every single game one or the other of us pick, you probably would have won like seven or eight hundred bucks, maybe a thousand, somewhere in that range. Yeah, that's not bad. So, yeah, there you go. Pretty good. Yeah, you got to be. Money. I think we said All you have right. to be like fifty-two percent or fifty-two. Uh, I wrote it down. Fifty-two point four percent to be a winner. Um, and I think we were both like in the fifty-five to fifty-six range. I think we're more, aren't we more than that? We might be. I'm not sure. I can't do math. Yeah. And yeah, maybe, maybe we're, yeah, maybe we're like this, something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. pretty good. So yay, yay for us. Um, do we want to do, do we have a couple questions or? We've got two questions. Okay. Here, I'm going to read Anthony's right here. Um, hi, Ryan and Dave. 
How would you rank the level of talent of the states in the Pac-12 after California? Thank you, Anthony. Um, I like who's that your question. number two? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I've got Washington number two. What do you have? I would do. I was thinking Arizona. You but, could talk me into Arizona, but it would probably. I think I'd go with. I just. Mm, I think I'd go Washington. But I think there's more JC guys too from Arizona. Maybe that you get there's some more names there, but not originally from Arizona. Yeah. So I depends on the uh, the nature of the question because I think Arizona you get a lot of California transplants and national transplants who come to Arizona for JC because um, there are a few strong JC programs in that area. Um, but I'd probably go Washington. Then I would probably go Arizona because they're also starting to turn out some really good high school talent as well. Then where do you go? Do you then, go Utah? I'd probably go Utah. Um, and that might be also a little inflated because, again, there's some JC stuff and there's also the, 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 you know, LDS stuff that makes it kind of a, a bigger hotbed than it otherwise would be because you get a lot of older guys, um, which helps. Um, but I'd probably go Utah anyway. And then really it's a mixed bag after that. I mean, you could talk me into Colorado. You could talk me into actually, I'd probably go Colorado and then Oregon. Yeah. Oregon probably be last, I would think. And Nevada, just because Bishop Gorman generates some talent. Um, a couple of the other Vegas schools generate some talent. Um, Hawaii, it's usually pretty limited. There's usually one, maybe two guys a year who are, you know, really top level Pac-12 guys. Um, and then after that, it's kind of a drop off. Um, most of the other Western states just aren't populous enough to get much more than a, a guy every couple of years. Like New Mexico had, um, who was that Stanford guy? Uh, Henry Haddis. Okay. Uh, yeah. that former offensive lineman. I think he was the one guy for New Mexico in a really long time. Um, I mean, you Wyoming get a player Idaho. from like, yeah, Idaho, Wyoming. You hear a player every once in a while, but not much. Yeah, so I think it's, I think after, I mean, this is why most Pac-12 schools try to recruit California really, really well. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, you're missing out on probably, I mean, what, eighty percent of the talent in the entire league. Yeah, I and mean, there's like one, and then like number two is so far away, like it's just, it's in the noise. You know, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's California, and then like. There's a huge, 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 huge draw. It's not like there's a close number two. Yeah, exactly. And then we got our rundown from Nick from Cyprus. You want me to go through this? Sure. Well, um, I we want to do that. I have Earl from West LA. You want me to do that one, and then we'll do Nick's last. Yeah, yeah. Bring me Earl. Okay, Earl West LA. He likes to email me personally, so I have to. It doesn't go to our Pac-12 email. So um, he says, "Tell me this show was recorded before the Rose Bowl game." So I think. I think it was, I don't know if, I think he's talking about our other podcast, but it might be a show he was watching on the Pac-12. We get emails like that sometimes where people are watching something and they just start talking about it like we know what they're watching. Um, right. It's just, that's our niche of our business. Sam Darnold was rated the fifth best player in the conference this year behind Christian McCaffrey, Jake Browning, Adore Jackson, and number one, John Ross. So this probably is a Pac-12 network show I'm guessing he was watching. Uh, the number right. one player in the conference has to be Darnold. How do you rate the top 12 players? I don't know if we're going to go through 12, but we can talk about like our top five. Uh, after such a memorable season and an incredible Rose Bowl victory, I could care less that the Pac-12 network got it wrong again. Okay, so that's what it was. Fight on and let's do it again in 2017. Uh, Earl in West LA. All right. Well, that's a good question, Earl. So he's asking us who are our top – well, he's asking for top 12. I think that's a little hard for us. Yes. Our brains are not that strong at this end <laughs> of the podcast. Um, we might be able to do a top five. It's Friday really late. Top three. 
Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't trust any of our opinions at this point. <sighs> Number one, so I, I, the only reason I'm reluctant to say Darnold is because I don't want to reward USC for being very, very stupid through the first three and a half games. <laughs> Fair. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, he should have been starting from the beginning of the year, not, you know, what was it, Utah where he first started? Yeah, so it was the th- fourth game he started. So, okay, sorry, through the first three games. Um, I, he's obviously in the top five. Um, I would probably have him two, somewhere in that. Like, I, I think it's going to be my top five, and I don't really have an order. I think it's Joe Williams. I think it's Sam Darnold. I think it's Jake Browning. Um God, was there anybody else good in the Pac-12? Chris McCaffrey. Um, John Ross you put in there probably. I don't know if I do. Yeah, really? fine, John Ross. But, I mean, then we're going all offensive players, and I feel bad for all the you know, good defenders on Washington, the good defenders on Colorado. I guess there weren't any, like, super star defenders in the Pac-12 this year. I mean, I watched a lot of Takaris McKinley, and I think he's really good, but he didn't quite put up the numbers that you would expect from a like a true dominant defensive player. Um, I don't think anyone from Cal has a real claim. I thought Chad Hansen had a nice year, but yeah, I think that top five is probably my top five. I think. Are you differing at all? No, I mean, I think I'd have those guys. I could see, like, I didn't agree with like Adore Jackson being the defensive player of the year, but I could see him being like an overall player. Like, I could put him in my top five and feel. Fairly comfortable, but I would love to put a Solomon Thomas in there. Um, yeah. but I mean, you could put a Hunter Dimmick, like, I mean, there's Hunter def- Dimmick for sure. There's um, you could defenders you want to put in there. Those Colorado DBs. Yeah. Uh, but like McCaff, I would, you know, I think John Ross, for them to have him number one, I don't know about that. I think I would, you know, have him up there, but McCaffrey just from maybe the body of work, um, you know, get him, maybe he would be my top guy, but I, you know, Darnold up Sid- there at two Sid- or Jones? something. Sidney Jones needs a shout out. Well, shout out Sidney Jones. Yeah, I think he could he could have a claim in there. You know, they weren't no one was throwing against him. Even Alabama was deciding they were going to throw against his side in that game. So yeah, but for like, would you would you put Solomon Thomas as your highest ranked defender, or what? What do you think? I probably would, just because he was so dominant at times, and I think he meant more to that Stanford defense than uh, he meant more to a good team than any defender meant to a team this year is the way I would put it. Yeah. I think Takaris McKinley probably meant more to UCLA than Solomon Thomas meant to Stanford, but Takaris McKinley played on a four and eight team. Um, so that would be my only reason there. But I think there were a few defenders who would round out my top 10 for sure. I think I'd have McKinley in there. I'd have Solomon Thomas in there. I'd have Hunter Dimmick. I'd have Sidney Jones. Um, but... Yeah, I think my top five would be kind of those all offensive guys. And I think my number one would be, I don't know. I, I don't want to say Darnold. Cause I just, first, I don't want to, I don't want to annoy my constituency that much. And second, I really don't want to reward Clay Helton for being that stupid. Um, so I'll go Browning just to annoy the USC fans who are going to be like, no, he sucked against USC. You know, um, it's like I'm do that one. it's like you. I could see Browning for being number one, but then you could also argue he's not in the top five for the way he kind of finished the season. For too, sure, right? right? I mean, a hundred percent. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But he did so much like through the regular season. You saw against the better teams, he wasn't he wasn't that guy. And I think I think if you're the number one guy, you can struggle against you know the one good team or a two. You know, but it seemed like every time they played someone good, even when they won, he wasn't that good. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you know, I yeah. think he he's but I think he deserves it. I mean, certainly deserves it, but it's you could I could see their argument against it too. Yeah, and I, but I could also see a, a pretty decent argument for Joe Williams under the same, you know, kind of I mean, he didn't lead his team to wins, but I mean, do you, do you punish him for it. being stupid for retiring or did you think that <laughs> <laughs> I'm not punishing any players for being stupid. I'm punishing Clay Helton. Okay. Um, if it was Kyle Whittingham and, that retired him and then said, come on back. Yeah. <laughs> if Kyle Whittingham had done it, then I would for sure, I would for sure be punishing Joe Williams for it. I'm not a logical man. All right, Ryan. Um, uh, I'm not giving it to Darnold. I'm going to leave the spot no, open. Fine. I'm not trying to talk you. I think that's a good. Li- I mean, those are like the best. That's a good group of the best players uh, in the Pac-12, and we'll see. I mean, there's some. You know, there's a quarterback at UCLA that's supposed to be pretty good. Maybe you know the chosen one will be back next year. He'll be a night. Maybe, maybe he'll have some guys blocking in front of him. Who knows? <laughs> he needs, he Anything definitely. can happen. Life is full of possibilities. Enjoy. Um, all right, let's do Nick from Cyprus real quick, and then I got to run. Yeah. Hi, this is Nick from Cypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. So quick rundown, Minnesota 17 versus WSU 12. What can you say? Cougars came up short and were ineffective in their bowl game. I thought Mike Leach was poised to do something special this year and didn't. Can't get them all wrong. Indiana 24 versus Utah 26. Utah won the game. Good win for the Pac-12. Coach Willingham, I'm going to say Willingham, (laughs) has coached his team to another 10-win season. Oklahoma State 38 versus 8 Colorado. Colorado is overrated. Knew it early on. USC was the right team for the Rose Bowl. We will get to that soon. Mike Gundy mullet is awesome. Stanford 25 versus North Carolina 23. This was a good game. David Shaw wins another 10-win season. Does he become the Rams' new head coach? I've heard this rumor. Congrats to Stanford. Now to get to Christian McCaffrey, he quit on his team. I never liked this new trend of sitting out a bowl game, especially if you are not actually injured. Quitting is not acceptable in my book. Uh, UW 7 versus Alabama 24. Alabama was the better team. No one should be surprised by the game. UW was overrated, in my opinion. USC 52 versus Penn State 49. The Rose Bowl game. We're, uh, where to start? This is the greatest Rose Bowl game, in my opinion, ever. USC starts, uh, apparently, apparently Big Nick is, uh, forgetting the Rose Bowl where Texas, uh, came to a pretty awesome conclusion. Because that was a great game. Wouldn't that was, you agree? That was, yeah. I mean, those are probably the two best games I've ever seen in person. Maybe like yeah. the Bush Push game or something. But those those are two of the best for sure. I have a feeling Nick wiped that one from his memory. <laughs> uh, USC starts strong, goes weak in the second and third quarter, then wins in the fourth. Sam Darnold takes over and pulls out a gutty win. This USC team is the best in the conference, and quite frankly, if they played in the national... Oh, we're getting over our skis here. No, no, Quite no. frankly, if they played in the national championship, they would have a chance of winning. Refs were Pac-12 bad, maybe worse. Hard-fought victory. They were bad. They were pretty awful. They were They were Fight on. I was live at the game. So proud of USC. Questions. With the Pac-12 going 3-3 and in the bowl season, what do you have to contribute to that? Um, I'll start. I think it's completely overrated to look at bowl records for teams. I would say Colorado's 30-point loss to Oklahoma State was probably the most damaging for Pac-12 purposes. Um, and I don't think USC, I, I, I don't think any win was so profound that it makes the Pac-12 look good. So, you know, USC won a really fun game against Penn State, but they didn't dominate Penn State by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, I think overall the Pac-12 probably from a perception standpoint doesn't look great after bowl season, but I don't think reasonable people should take too much from going three and three. 
I agree. I, I mean, the, the Colorado loss, I think, looks bad when you get blown out like that. Washington State losing, you know, as a double-digit favorite, doesn't look that good. Most of the matchups were favorable uh, for the Pac-12, and still to go 3-3 three and three is a little disappointing. But when you don't get, you know, there's not the eight teams in there, so you're not playing someone like, you know, from the Mountain West in the in the yeah. Vegas Bowl or anything. So, you know, those are usually a couple winnable games. So, you, you know, you got to got to tighten the belt a little bit and the Pac-12 didn't really do that. So 3 and 3 is like, eh, but like like Dave said, I don't think it defines your whole season. What was your favorite bowl game? As I've made very clear, uh the Holiday Bowl between Washington State and Minnesota. <laughs> uh no, I mean obviously it was the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um and he finally asks and this is maybe going to require a little bit longer. Um crap. who's your favorite who's your favorite to win the Pac-12 next season? Ooh. Uh I mean, I'd pick USC at this point just with the Sam Darnold factor. How about you, Dave? I could I could go Washington, but I'll, I'll pick SC. What do you think? Or you got you know got a left field? Do Arizona State maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ASU fans. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think you got to go USC. Um, I think based on the fact that they finished the year on. What did it end up being? An eight game, nine game, nine game winning streak. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, looked, you know, like the best team in the Pac 12 by the end of the Pac 12 season. Um, got a nice young quarterback. Um, retaining most of their offensive line, obviously losing a Dory Jackson, probably losing Juju Smith. Um, maybe some other guys we'll see. Um, I think there's still a lot to like about that team next year. And I think Darnold, you know, coming into his own, his first full year starting, um, he could be pretty, pretty damn good. So, yeah, I think it's got to be USC. I think Washington's definitely got a strong claim to it. They're losing quite a bit. Um, but if we've learned, like we said earlier, if we've learned anything from Chris Peterson and his teams, is that losing players doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot for um, that guy. So um, it's probably between those two teams, but I'd probably lean USC at this point just because they have the... Uh, they have the talent advantage for sure, um, and I think Darnold is going to be the great equalizer for them in a lot of games. You know, where maybe we don't think Clay Helton's a sterling tactician at all times, but I think Darnold is going to uh, make up for whatever warts Helton has as a coach um, going forward. He's a great eraser. He kind of erases mistakes, like <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and USC and Washington don't play each other in the regular season next year, so. Um... They, they won't, you know, that would be interesting if they end up winning the North and the South and end up getting to play. This year, I didn't think it would have been no. as interesting because I already played. Um, so I was glad that Colorado got the, to go there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, could, it should be a, should be an interesting year. Always is. You know, will Oregon be a lot better? Uh, well, Washington State, um, you know, Stanford, you know, thought everyone was down and, you know, they win 10 games. Uh, Rosen's back. Like, does UCLA make a run with a new offensive coordinator? I mean, there's, you know, what do the Arizona schools do? You know, Utah had a great run there and then kind of fell off. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great storylines. It'll be interesting to see. And, you know, Colorado, of course, Dave's Buffaloes, you know, yeah. to come out of the blue and win 10 games. It's like, that was great. Like, so now do you expect them to win 10 games next year? Do they go back to six and six? Like, who knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are all things are possible <laughs> it could happen he uh nick mentioned the mullet i can't believe we we talked about that game and didn't mention the mullet it was great it was glorious it was everything you wanted it to be and just a little bit more yeah it was very good pretty special um well 
Uh, thank you to everyone. And uh, that's our studio audience there cheering us for, for our. I liked it. I liked it. I liked uh, it. We cut them off really well. They, they really responded to the lights. I turned the applause light off, and it just they just yeah, shut up. They're, they're well trained. That was great. That was very good. <laughs> Well, hey, great year. I guess this will wrap up our year, even though it's the new year now, now, but thanks, Dave, for, uh, doing this little dog and pony show with me. This has been fun. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And hopefully we, uh, don't, uh, decide that we're just going to quit without telling anybody for about six months again. <laughs> no, I think, I think we're back, but send us in those questions, uh, any topics we can basically get guests on. So if there's specific stuff you have about the team you follow, we want to hear from other teams. We know USC, UCLA. We talk about them all the time. If you're a big Utah fan or Wazoo fan or whatever. We'll get, you know, the publisher from the school that you like on and talk to him about specific stuff. If there's anything interesting going on. So yeah, send us questions. We, you know, give us topics and we will talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's like, yeah. All right. Cool. Dave's got to go chase his little kid. So. I've got to go chase my child who you've probably heard in the background several times. From the very beginning on this time, it was kind of funny. So she was, uh, that was all right. But give her a kiss on the head for us and, uh, enjoy your weekend. That is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time, which will not be in six months. <laughs>